Praise God. Um, I'd like us to open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, and we're going to read verses <coughs> 5 to 9. And as we read the verses, I'll break them down. Behold, that's verse 5. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not. And nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee, because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. This verse appears to be addressed to the Messiah. He, at his coming, will call into his kingdom a nation that he doesn't know, or a people who are not in covenant with God, as the children of Israel are. This would be the period of time when the gospel is opened up to the Gentiles, and they will readily and gladly receive it and obey. Thus God's kingdom will be enlarged to include every nation. These nations will run to God, which indicates an urgency for them to partake of the truth from God, who has appointed the Messiah, who shall be glorified. Verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Although the scripture is addressed to the returned Jewish exiles from Babylon, this is an invitation or a call by God for everyone, even in this present age, to seek him where he may be found. And while he is near, the scripture implies that there will be a time, there will come a time when maybe God won't be found where God won't be found, and it's important and it's vital for us to seek him while he he can be found. We're in the house of God tonight. We are here to worship him. We are here um, also to hear his word. We are here to receive from God. I want God to touch me, and I'm sure you all feel the same way. There's some areas in our lives where we need strengthening. We need to be lifted up. We need answers to prayers. We need to be a touch from God. And we're here in the house of the Lord, and his presence is so strong in this place. But let us take advantage of this time that we are in the house of the Lord. We don't know what tomorrow may hold. This this frightens me, actually, the scripture. Seek him while he may be found. Amen. So let us not be casual about serving the Lord, but let us seek him diligently. Let us uh, go to the Lord and seek him. Soon the Lord is coming. It's not going to be far. It's not going to be a long way when the Lord is going to come and take his people from, the, from this world. When the church is taken from this world, you won't be able to seek and find the Lord as we, as we can at this time when that takes place. And before God comes to take his church away, we have a work to do. We can't just sit back idle and, and, and do nothing. We have a work to do for the kingdom of God. Verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This verse tells us that the wicked, or the sinner, is to forsake his wicked ways and his thoughts. This means he must abandon his deeds, his plans, and his purposes in his life, which are opposed to God, and to seek the Lord that he should return to the Lord, and the Lord will pardon him and have mercy upon him. 
Throughout the scriptures, we see that time after time, man has turned away from God. But we have an opportunity to come to him now. Verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's no need to break down the meanings of these scriptures. It's perfectly, the content of those two scriptures are perfectly clear. And I'm just going to repeat them. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The plans and purposes of God, his forgiveness and mercy to sinful men, are far above man's thoughts and ways, and even beyond man's understanding. And taking this thought further into the message, we cannot fathom God's way, or his methods, or his plans for his purposes to be fulfilled. We often take a critical look at ourselves and see how unworthy we are. Have I missed a page? How unworthy we are to be used of God in any way because of our personal failures and weaknesses. This is discouraging and disheartening. But God's ways are not our ways. And our human ways and imperfections bring glory to God. If we were all perfect and able to be successful in all things, there would not be much to show the glory of God. The humans, we'd be doing it all ourselves. But we know that, we, that God touches our lives and he gives us the grace and the ability that he is glorified. For example, I would like to relate the old and loved account of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and 7. The children of Israel were in the promised land, but they had done evil in the sight of God. And as a result, the Midianites had been oppressing them for years. Always at the time of harvest, the Midianites came in and carried away all the crops of grain until the Israelites had no food for themselves and none for their sheep and none for their cattle. The Midianites also brought their own large flocks, which ate all the grass in the field. The people of Israel were driven away from their villages and their farms and were compelled to hide in caves in the mountains. If any Israelite could farm any grain, he buried it in pits which he covered with earth or in empty wine presses where the Midianites could not find it. And one day, while Gideon was threshing wheat, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him and spoke to him, saying, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. You know that saying very well. And in all of Israel's male population, there were some large, some strong, some soldiers, some unfaring, some who were all of these with enough qualifications and ability to fulfill the calling to lead Israel against the Midianites. But God chose Gideon and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the, land of the, from the hand of the Midianites. <clears throat> Gideon didn't have confidence in himself to fulfill this calling, saying he was from a poor family and he was the least in his father's house. We all know that Gideon put out a fleece to God for confirmation, and when God answered, he put out a second fleece. Well, God answered again, the second time, 
And Gideon know for sure, knew for sure that he was called. To defeat the Midianites, Gideon gathered an army of 32,000 soldiers. But God instructed him to reduce the army to just 300 soldiers. This was another sign to Gideon that God was with him. Gideon and his servant overheard a Midianite soldier explain a prophetic dream of a barley loaf which rolled into the camp and flattened a tent. A second soldier said that the dream meant that Gideon and the Israelites would destroy the camp of Midian. Gideon and his servant went back to their troops and told them about what God was going to do through them. That night, Gideon gave each soldier, soldier a pitcher with a lamp in it. They all took ram's horns and surrounded the camp. All together, at the same time, they broke the, the pitcher, blew on the horns and shouted, The sword of the Lord and Gideon. The Midianites were so startled and confused, they fought each other and lost the battle. This victory could only have come by the hand of God. Man's ways for Israel was to get a large, strong army together. But God's ways was for a small army, no weapons, and no casualties. We don't understand God's ways. Can we comprehend? No. Can we understand? No. Not at all, and anybody, sorry, and nobody ever will, because in Romans 11 and 33 it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The thoughts that the Jews had of the Messiah was that of a stately ruler and king. But God's thoughts were completely opposite. And the world struggled to, reason, to recognize Jesus, the promised Messiah, in their midst. Matthew made it perfectly clear that Jesus was the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 1 and 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Sorry, I've said that wrong. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Christ means anointed. It comes from the Greek Christos and is a translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. Messiah, which means anointed. They didn't recognize their Messiah in their midst because he didn't come in the way that they expected him to come. The writings of Matthews breaks a 400-year period of scriptural silence and his defining theme being Jesus, the promised Messiah, who will save us from our sins and rule over this earth in the kingdom of God. Jesus had a short period of approximately three and a half years of public ministry before he ascended into heaven. In that short time, he accomplished a great deal, and a priority was to call disciples to follow him, that they could continue with the gospel and the teachings of Christ once Christ had been crucified and ascended. The example given to us in Matthew chapter 4 is of Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, fishing as was their trade. And he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Straight away, they dropped their nets and followed him. When anyone follows Jesus, it is with their own assent. Andrew and Peter did have the option to continue fishing 
and not follow. But when they did follow, they became the disciples of Jesus and their lives changed completely forever. As they began to serve him and to learn of him and to live in the ways that Jesus taught. They knew the Ten Commandments and the law and the judgment and the punishment for disobedience. The laws and commandments were a precursor or forerunner of things to come. Mankind knew God's expectation for their conduct, but now God's ways was to give a new commandment for all of mankind, not solely for the nation of Israel. John 13 and 13 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. This is a new commandment. It's quite a far cry from the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai for the children of Israel. There's love mentioned um, for everybody. And God requires, it's a commandment, and God requires that we love one another. It's not just a, a, a word that's spoken. It's a commandment, and we are required to do it and to love one another. And we here, we are vessels for the Holy Ghost. We all know that. And God has, he's come for us, manifest in the flesh. He's come to give us truth. He's come to give us salvation. He's come to give us healing. He's come to give us deliverance. He's come to give us a place in heaven where we can be with him. Amen. <clears throat> but it's not free. It's free what he's given. Freely he is given. But any commandment, any, any uh, relationship has got a, is a, a covenant. And when we called, when Peter and Andrew were called by, by, by Jesus to follow him, they began to be his disciples. He began to teach them, and they began to follow. There was a relationship. There was a covenant between them. And we, too, have that covenant between ourselves and God. God gives us the Holy Spirit, but he expects us to... to be a light in this world. He expects us to go with the gospel. He expects us to reach out and to show his glory in this world. We might think that that's an unreal expectation because we see our human weaknesses and our human flaws. But God's ways are not our ways. And he knows what he's doing. And I'm so grateful for myself that God has touched my life in such a way that I can be walking in the truth. Then in Matthew chapter 5 and 17, it is written, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, and come, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. This means Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He had no intention of destroying the law, and neither did he come to set man free from their obligation to the law. Jesus fulfilled the law both by his life and his teachings. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, sorry, pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Let us not forget that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. In God's timing, the time has come now to call a nation, as spoken in Isaiah chapter 55 and 5, that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee. The time that was when God's time has come for that. Consider now, sorry, I, I'm, consider how blessed we are 
to be in this period of time and to be of those nations or people that shall run to him. The law was full of thou shalt not. The people were obedient in deed, but not in spirit. Jesus ratified or confirmed the Ten Commandments as the basis for Christian behavior. But now his teachings speak of God's spiritual law. One example from many that Jesus gave is, You have heard that it was said by them of old time that thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto thee that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Matthew five twenty one and 22. If a man does not kill, he's being obedient to the law, but he still may have hatred in his heart. And he's not being obedient. He's, not, he's being obedient to the law, but he doesn't have an, a, a spiritual attitude. He doesn't have that love that Jesus said we must have one for another. And so Jesus, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught his disciples, saying, Blessed. The word blessed means, oh, how happy. But these teachings do not seem to give us the impression of, oh, how happy. However, here are teachings where Jesus speaks of people that are blessed and a life that is blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. That's the very first teaching of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. But I just want to say, according to in an example of doing and not being, is that of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 and 22. He came running to Jesus, knelt before him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He was anxious to have assurance that he would inherit eternal life. The rich young ruler believed himself to be a good man, having obeyed the commandments from his youth. But when Jesus told him to sell whatever he had to give to the poor and then take up the cross and follow Jesus, that was too hard for him. It was not his wealth that was the issue. It was his attitude to and his reliance upon his his wealth which caused him not to recognize his dependency on God. He did not feel that he was poor in spirit. A deep personal encounter with God leaves a person ready to receive spiritual blessings and the riches that God offers. The Beatitudes say, blessed, and that is what we will be when we are obedient to the law and the spirits of God. To continue in the scripture, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, with me, verse 4. Blessed are they for that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. These teachings we know are called the Beatitudes. The outcome for each of them produces a specific spiritual trait. Following these teachings, we learn how to live a life that is dedicated to pleasing God without any hypocrisy and with the love and grace that God gives us. From these teachings emerges the character of believers. For those of us who have come to a place of picking up our cross and saying, yes, I will follow you, and drop down it, so to speak, and begin to follow him with a desire to be obedient in an attitude of love and submission, to want his blessings and to inherit eternal life. God has a work for us to do. So in the Bible, we go immediately from the Beatitudes to the similitudes. Similitude is the quality or state of being similar to something. As called out believers, we are to be similar to salt and light. In Matthew chapter 5 and 13, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of man. To Peter and Andrew, salt would have meant preservation for the fish they caught. But the spiritual teaching is that believers in Christ are preservatives to the world, preserving it from the evils of our ungodly and unregenerated society, whose natures are corrupted by sin. Therefore, Christians should have a positive influence in this world. It says that those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Salt loses its, its pres preserving properties when it is spoiled with inferior substance and it becomes tasteless. It's no good when it's tasteless. It has absolutely no effect whatsoever except a bad effect. It is of no value and is only good to be trodden underfoot. In the same way, a Christian's distinctiveness as a follower of Jesus Christ can be watered down by mixing their biblical lifestyle with the word's lifestyle, the world's lifestyle, and the zeal for living for Christ is lost. Chapter, verse 14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. When we, light a, when we light a candle, the Bible says you don't hide it under a bushel. It's not intended to be hid. The light spreads. wherever there, When there's darkness, it just dispels the darkness completely, and the light, the light spreads. And people can see. We can see when the light is on. And God, it, God says, puts us in that similitude, that we are to be the light of the world. That people will see, not ourselves, but they'll see God through us. They'll see the goodness of God. They'll see the love of God as we go into this world. We don't hide that light away. We are to have that light burning brightly within us as we move around in this world. People are hungry and thirsty, and they want the Lord. And we are his representatives. We are the light for his, uh, of the gospel into this world. The presence of light in darkness is something which is unmistakable. The presence of Christians in the world 
must be a, like a light in the darkness, not only in the sense of the truth of God's word, in the, which brings uh, light into darkened hearts of sinful men, but also in the sense that our good deeds must be evident for all to see. Our good deeds would not be doing things, but our good deeds would be would be how we are, what our attitude is, the way we do things, the way we represent the Lord, not, uh, not doing things for recognition, but the way we represent God and the attitudes that we have in this world and in this life. People are looking for that. It gives them security. When they see their sensible people in the world, when they see their sensible people that are solid and grounded. Being in the light, being in this, the light in this world is like being a lighthouse. Putting out a strong light which shines all around. It shines in the front, it shines in the sides, and it shines in the back. The objective of the lighthouse is to warn ships in the ocean of perilous, dark, rough, dangerous waters and hidden, dangerous objects. The lighthouse stands out from all other buildings and is seen and recognized for what it is. The lighthouse has a specific purpose. And it would be very wise for those ships sailing the sea to heed the warnings and message of the lighthouse. Of course, there is no obligation by the ships in the sea to heed the lighthouse warnings. The ship's captain can give an order for the ship to enter and continue those troubled waters and reap the di dire destructive consequences of going into those, those troubled and destructive waters. The lighthouse is all by itself in isolation and stands alone, but it's constant. The message of the lighthouse is constant. What an encouragement and reassurance it is for a ship that has previously traveled these waters, sails back into the vicinity of the lighthouse and gets sight of the same lighthouse, the same light, the same warnings, still standing there, weathering all the storms, at the same time warning others of the storms and the consequences of the storms. And that's how it is for us. If people, if people uh, know that we, we are um, born again, if people know that we represent Christ in this world, they, are, they feel comforted and they feel, feel strengthened when they see that we continue to represent God in this world, that we continue to stand firm, that we continue to be solid, that we continue to let the light shine forth. We don't change our ways and become dark or smutty in any way, but we, we let the light of Christ shine through us. And it's a comfort to people to see we still continuing with the Lord and carrying on with him as he has called us. The light from the lighthouse will show a ship the perils and give the ship opportunity to heed the warnings and move from the perils into safer waters. The lighthouse is an inanimate job object, but if it had feelings at all, it would probably screech out the warnings to the people to uh, move away from the dangerous places and then have a sigh of relief when the danger is averted. It's the way we are. We screech out to people not in a verbal way, but we're screeching out in our hearts and our desire for them to find the truth, for, him to, for them to turn away from those ways that are taking them into a dangerous place, a perilous place, and, and, not and to turn around and receive God. 
the Bible said, we read earlier that he's merciful and he's ready to pardon us. And the, the warnings that come from us by the life that we live um, will speak to people's hearts. And they can come to God at any time and he will receive them. The ship, <clears throat> the ship in, in danger takes it about turn, having heeded the warning and goes back into the sea another way, recognizing and leaving behind the perilous destructive ways it was heading into and with joy continues the journey. When a ship is wise and when it's um, sensible, it'll turn away when it receives those warnings from the lighthouse. It'll go back into the sea of life, but it won't. It will have avoided those perilous um, destructive ways in the deep, dark sea that they can't see clearly. Could I have the piano please, Sister Sedenka? Tonight, <clears throat> if you fall into the category of being a ship, sailing in the sea of life and recognize the warnings from the light of God that you may need, you may have needs in your life. There is a time and space here tonight to repent and turn back on the sea of life another way, the safe way as shown by the light of God. <clears throat> if you are a lighthouse today, stand tall, remain strong. The builder will always keep you in your fortification and help you to keep the light shining forth. The first step in being a successful lighthouse is to recognize the function and purpose of that calling and then give yourselves to that calling. See, there is <clears throat> not much use for a lighthouse if the light is off. We don't light our light and hide it under the bushel. If it does not stand tall but merges with the sea and the treacherous, and the treacherous rocks, if it does not look different to the other buildings around it in the vicinity, it is not of much use at all. In fact, it's of no use. It's just another building in the skyline that has no effect on anybody. If you feel like you are a ship out in dangerous seas and you want to move into safe waters, come to the front for prayer. You can reach out to God. You can ask God to help you to leave those things that you know are hindering you in your walk with God. Leave behind your, long do, your wrongdoings and repent and follow God for the tr and the truth of his word for your life. 